Welcome to today's episode. Today, I want to talk to you about what really is true predictive analytics. There's a lot of talk about doing predictive analytics, but when I go to talk to people about the process that they're using, it really isn't at predictive analytics. So I want to talk a little bit about what it really means. About five or six years ago, predictive analytics was really an innovative thought, but today it's become really the rage of healthcare. So I think this is a timely episode for reviewing what really predictive analytics are. So if you're thinking about embarking on using them for your healthcare organization or for your organization just in general, I'm hoping this will help you understand what that is. Now, in the most simple term, uh, predictive analytics really is looking at an outcome of interest. So let's say you're interested in identifying what causes falls of patients or what causes infections of patients while they're in the hospital. So just think about the panic point or the thing that you find most distressing in your organization. And we'll use that as our point of reference as we go through this episode today. So the, you want to understand what relates to that outcome of interest. And so a correlation is really where predictive analytics begins. But predictive analytics is more powerful than correlations, but I just want to explain to you where it begins. So as your falls go up, you're wanting to understand what's increasing alongside that increase of falls, because that might be a candidate for you to improve. So let's say you're short staffing as that increases or your gaps in staffing as that increases, you find that your falls are also increasing. So you would call that a positive correlation as absence of staff increases, falls increase. So you have a suspicion that short staffing might relate to and even predict what causes falls. So what predictive analytics does beyond correlations is it looks at what the variables are doing when falls are occurring, but it also looks at what the variables are doing when falls are not occurring. And that's what helps you understand what's predicting your outcome. And in this case, it's falls. So you would then be able to predict on the days where short staff, that's when falls occur. So that's the power of predictive analytics in a very simple way over relationship or correlations. Now, the, the fact is that predictive analytics really is complex. So I'm I would like to provide the most simple or easy to understand explanation of what is okay when we're looking at predictive analytics. In real life, you see patients falling and you're trying to figure this out. So you might go to a case study where your quality improvement team is meeting and they all talk about why patients are falling and you pick a particular case and then you decide, yeah, there are a lot of patients that had that occur. So let's go ahead and create an action plan for that particular reason or correlate as it would be called. The challenge with that approach is that it's isolated and there's probably many other things that are causing falls beyond that one that you're using in your case study, because case studies are really commonly used for improving outcomes. And so I would like to provide a way that you can pursue a more accurate way that is more complex 
And my book, Using Predictive Analytics to Improve Healthcare Outcomes, will actually walk you through step by step. But this episode will give you an overview of how that is done. And I should say, when I mention my book, that it's not my book, it is a collaborative effort of 38 authors and then, of course, my co-editors, Jane Felgen and Marianne Hozak. So when I say my book, behind that comment are the authors and my co-editors. And it was published by Wiley Publishing. But what is interesting about predictive analytics is we often look at just an isolated predictor or variable that we address. But the thing is, is that falls don't occur by just one variable or one predictor. So it's important to create a method of looking at all of the variables simultaneously and find out which one is the most common cause, correlate, or predictor of those falls. Now, the methodology that I use, I call structural storytelling. <clears throat> so like in this case study, you've identified what the predictor is that you think is causing most of the falls. But let's go a little further and just keep talking about the story of falls in your organization. But let's make a list of all the variables that are identified in that discussion. And then what you would do is, you, let's say you identify 15 variables just as a starting point. This is going to be your initial measurement model. And so then what you would do is you would then figure out how do I measure staffing shortage, the, the number of staff that I don't have that I need today. How do I measure this next variable? So you go through your list and you, it's called data discovery. You identify how do I measure that? Where is that data? Then once you have collected all of that data, and you'll need an analyst for this part, is you have your analyst run what's called a regression equation. Now, that's just one method of prediction. There's structural equation modeling, there's ERMA, there's um, all kinds of methods, but regression is probably the most simple methodology that your analyst could use. And what they'll do is they will look at the outcome of interest, we call it that dependent variable, and then they will look at all of the variables identified as causes or that you think are causes, those are called the independent variables. And then they run an analysis and they look at which one happens most frequently with falls. And that will be your number one predictor. And then it will look at which is the one that happens second most frequently. And what you end up with is those predictors that are statistically significantly occurring when the falls occur. And the benefit to this is that you've taken your story that was told within this quality improvement meeting and you have identified how to measure it, you have measured it, and then it provides some feedback on how to manage that in a rank order. So you can then create an action plan based on that ranking. Now, you may not pick the first variable for addressing an action plan. Maybe the second one is, as I say, low-hanging fruit, and that's fine. But it does give you a rank order of how to manage those predictors. I would like to review with you how you can identify 
true predictive analytics from analytic methods that really aren't going to give you prediction because prediction is beyond relationship. Now, this became real to me when I was listening to uh, a company that was talking about how they did predictive analytics. So I signed up for their webinar and it was a staffing and scheduling company. And when they talked about the predictive analytics, they said, now when we do scheduling, we can see next week, you will have three vacancies in staffing. So we predict you're gonna have three vacancies in staffing. And I thought, well, that can't be the predictive analytics that they're going to be teaching us because that's crazy. And so as I listened, I learned that that is really about all it was. Now that instance or that example isn't isolated. There's many companies that I have heard say they're doing predictive analytics. So how do you tell when someone says they do predictive analytics that it really is predictive analytics? Because oftentimes that is not true. Now there are companies out there that do true predictive analytics, which are very will be very useful for you for you improving your outcome. Because what predictive analytics does is a correlation or a analytic process that shows relationship, what's relating to my outcome, that's one thing. But you really want to have a process that is going to give you options for improving your outcome and action planning. If someone says that they are doing predictive analytics, they should be addressing things like, this is our measurement model. They should be giving you a list of variables in rank order of these are the variables that we've identified are important. They should be working with you to update their measurement model because your organization is dynamic. It isn't static. And as you add new things that relate to the outcome, that company should be including those in an updated model of measurement. The other thing that I often see in companies that are using predictive analytics or they say they're predictive analytics is they're using an algorithm or a model that is from a, another organization, another state, another country, another context. Now, the problem with using a static model is that it may be a model that is from a rural community or a community that's very different than the context you're working in. Well, what that's called, if you use that, it's called a misspecified model. So you want to be able to work with a company that will help you develop your own model that will measure and predict your outcome of interest. So those are a couple of things that I see as the initial flag of what is true predictive analytics versus what is label predictive analytics, but will really be no more use to you than a case study of just identifying a single variable. So the first thing you want to look for is, do they give you rank order? Do they then help or work with you to develop a measurement model? And is the model updated within your context? And is it specified to an organization similar to yours? So if they do come with an algorithm, ask them where that model came from. So those are a couple things that you can identify easily when organizations say that we do predictive analytics. Now, so those are some of the things that can tell you if it is true predictive analytics or it's just being sold as predictive analytics. So how can I then discover if 
it really is predictive analytics. Well, there's a few things that you can do. First of all, you can go to their website and you can see who their team is. So do they have someone internal that is an analyst or someone that has experience in even engineering, um, but that is able to work with mathematical models? Because the important part in predictive analytics is having it specified for your organization. So see if they have an analyst that's working within the organization. If they're using an external vendor for their algorithm development, uh, that kind of thing, um, you, you may want to be um, a little concerned about that. So just ask that question is, who is your analyst and what's their experience? The other thing that you can do is if they, if they have a webinar, I would jump on that webinar and just ask some of the questions that I've posed already in this um, episode. Ask them, um, how do they respecify models? Ask them where did they develop their, if they say that they have algorithms, ask them where they developed them and how they were developed, what kind of context they were developed. And you should be listening for not just a simple single predictor that they're reviewing, but it should be a list of predictors that's derived from a complex model. Because predictive analytics are not simple, it is complex, but it should be very applicable because if it's contextualized and it's derived from your organization, the data should resonate. If it doesn't resonate, it's not going to be actionable, but it will resonate if the model is developed from your organization. So those are some things that you want to um, look for in the webinar or on their website. You may also look for some of the documents that they've printed and see if there is a description of their model specification of how they build a model for your organization, but I would stay away from standard models that are derived from previous research because it may be a good place to start. I should say that it might be a good place to start, but it needs to be validated for your organization and it needs to be re-specified to include the aspects of your organizational story so that it is accurate, accurately measuring what your organizations dealing with as it relates to that outcome. Because if it's not in the model, you're not going to be able to action plan based on that. It has to include the variables that are specific for your organization as it relates to that outcome. So let's say then that you do find a company that you do like. Uh, you do like their model. It isn't specified for your organization. It is from a static model that was derived from previous research, but you like the company. Well, I wouldn't discard that company if you like them, but let's look at how can you work with that company to be the company that makes a model specific for your organization. So let's take that static model and say that you say, you know what, all of these variables that you say are important as it relates to this outcome are in the literature. So we have buy-in. We think that this is a good model. However, Ask them if they would work with you to respecify that model to be contextualized. So what you're what you would be building, it's called a structural model, is you want to identify all the possible variables that relate to your organization. Now it may not be occurring at this time because or healthcare organizations are dynamic. And what's predicting that outcome of interest this year may not be next year for various reasons, or it might be new from years before. But these are variables that sort of wax and wane. Let's say, for example, that short staffing 
is your primary predictor for your outcome of interest like falls or infections. But you don't always have short, you're not always short staff, so that may go away. So work with the company to tell them that you want to start with this using this model, but that you would like to examine variables that are specified for your context. And if they are able then to respecify that static model and contextualize it for your organization, then I think you're you're okay. But it's a matter of working with the analyst and the programmers who understand how to update static models to be contextualized and specified for your organization so you're addressing the dynamics, not only for your organization, but as those models change and wax and wane, um, you want to be able to monitor that over time in real time because your action plans will change in the, as, because the predictors change. Now, for those of you that are listening that are novices to math or that's you just have a aversion to math, you may want to know some of the terms that you can look for within their discussion. So I'm just going to give you a few terms for you to look for in the discussion. And um, don't be afraid to ask your company that you're interested in to um, be technical because you're interested in learning uh, what they do, that you would maybe even do some research in what they're saying to you. So the the predictive analytics in its very basic form is correlations. So if they start talking about what relates to, if they start talking about independent or dependent variables in a technical way, that's a good sign. If they move toward conversations about regression equations, uh, that's where they look at the dependent variable, your outcome of interest. And then all the independent variables, are all the aspects of your story that you think are predicting that outcome. They may even mention structural equation modeling. That's the next step after regression. A structural equation model is basically lots of regression equations all studied at the same time. So you're able to explain very complex scenarios of what's occurring both directly and indirectly with your outcome of interest. They also may talk about doing a time series study. So they're looking at how does time change the predictors of that um, outcome. They may talk about something called ARIMA, um, A-R-I-M-A, and it is a odds ratio methodology to forecast risk. So they actually use the historical data to examine the trends and then forecast based on the odds ratios what might be happening two weeks, a month, two months. But those are just uh, some of the terms that you might uh, be looking for. You may even want to even just do a search on terms related to predictive analytics, make a record of those terms and look for those. And it's not to be gotcha with them, but you do want to make sure that you have um, consultants, analysts, engineers that really do understand what predictive analytics are and not just saying, based on our scheduling program, you're going to have three vacancies or um, holes in your scheduling next week. So you want to go beyond something that's um, very simplistic and may not be true predictive analytics, to really understanding some of the aspects of their conversation that can give you a clue that these, the, this company really will provide prediction 
and not just relationships. Now, the other term that is being thrown around a lot that I think it's important for listeners to understand is machine learning. I hear predictive analytics and machine learning thrown around pretty loosely. And when further inquiry and when I pursue um, inquiring more about that, I find that machine learning also is not truly being done. A couple terms for you to understand in machine learning is it's really the computer looking for relationships within the model that you have proposed. Now, there's different strategies for machine learning that would be good for you to be aware of. First of all, there is the supervised machine learning. And what supervised machine learning is, I program the computer and I say, these are the relationships I know are important as it relates to this outcome of interest. And then I analyze that and um, proceed with action planning because I programmed the model and said, this is the relationships that I want to study. Then they also have unsupervised, where it, it's almost like uh, using big data. I don't know where the relationships are, so I want the machine just to tell me. I, I don't have any theory. I don't have a particular type of regression uh, uh, equation that I'm going to be utilizing. I just want the computer to tell me where are these relationships. So that's called an unsupervised machine learning process. Then there's what some people don't uh, think is machine learning. I do. It's called um, semi-supervised. And what semi-supervised is, is I will tell the computer, you know, I know these are the relationships that are important, but I don't understand this new portion of the model that I've updated. And I want you just, you're talking to the machine because you're working with it. It's not artificial intelligence. It's not, it's not quite that far. But machine learning is you're working with the computer to understand relationships and prediction within your model. So you basically say, tell the computer, I understand these relationships in the model, but these relationships I do not understand. So you tell the machine, you look at those and tell me where those are uh, relationships are. And then you're, it's sort of like you're partnering with the machine. So you inform it of some of the relationships, but then you let it discover relationships that you don't understand. And then there's reinforcement. That's the fourth type of machine learning. And what free reinforcement is, is you want to train the computer, the algorithm that you want to use. It's sort of like um, trying to teach a mouse of how to get through a maze. And it's sort of like through with reward and punishment is that you may put the cheese in a different part of the maze and you help the mouse figure out how to get through there. And then the, the punishment would be a dead end that, that there was nothing there. So it's a little like that is that you know the algorithm, you want the machine to learn and you help the machine learn. So that's called reinforcement. So those are some terms that you can use within your conversation with the company that you're thinking about hiring or using just to make sure that when they say they do machine learning, that they really know what they're talking about. And similar to what I was talking about with detecting if they're doing true predictive analytics, again, look at their website, watch their webinars, look at their documents, and see if they're using these kinds of terms or if there's staff on the team that would uh, understand how to do these methodologies that I'm reviewing with you here.
Now, to give you just a couple questions maybe that you might use to see if the company is using the appropriate terms is just say, well, talk to us a little bit about what methodologies you use in predictive analytics or what types of machine learning do you use? Do you use big data? Do you have theories that you program into the computer? So with the terms that I've given you, just ask them to sort of explain the process that they use for their predictive analytics or machine learning or use of big data so that you can have confidence that they will be the expert that experts that you're hiring them for. Because it is it's not enough to have just good mathematicians. You want to have people that you have good relationships with and that you click with and that you have a good sense about. So if you found a company that you have a good sense about, that you you feel that they have good integrity, you like what you see. My intent in this episode is to give you some tools to be able to have a conversation with them so you can go a little deeper with them and have greater trust with them as experts, but most importantly, that they will serve you best by developing models that are specified for your context and that they will help not only utilize theory in machine learning, but also to maximize use of your data to find the relationships that you yet have to discover. So hopefully these questions that I'm posing to you as possibilities to have in your conversations will help you find the right company. So now let's say that you've identified that this company you like truly does do predictive analytics and it looks like they do understand machine learning and use of big data so that they're really going to help you advance in understanding your predictors. The next thing that you should make sure to ask is about their security. In my company, we invest a lot of time in security, a lot of resources in making sure that we have the most secure processes, and this is really important for you. Make sure that they have uh, the HIPAA compliance, that if you are gonna be doing um, international, that they have the ISO compliance, that they can provide the documentation for that, that they do have the BAA sign, that they're considering their third parties, so there's a number of things you want to ask regarding security. So before you sign on that dotted line, make sure that they have secure processes and that their associates that they work with have secure processes so that you're not putting your organization at risk because of your new, uh, newly hired company. So if the company is able to verify that indeed they do have all the securities that you've inquired about, Make sure to ask for the documentation so that you can review that for its accuracy, its being up to date, and for its authenticity. So make sure that you follow through with that documentation because the company should have good documentation of the most recent security reviews that they've had, about the insurance that they use, et cetera. So make sure that you get the documentation to review before you sign on the dotted line. Now, one other thing that you might want to consider that isn't common, but I think it should be more common, is there's something that's called operations research. And with operations research, it needs to go through the internal review board, the ethics committee, because it is really science. Now, what the IRB does is it reviews for not only appropriate confidentiality with patients and the security, 
but it also looks for scientific merit. Is this something that we want our organization to spend resources in conducting? Now, the benefit in having an operations research company is that every time that they do study an outcome, that it is reviewed for ethics, and there is a second set of eyes that are saying, yes, this does meet scientific standards, it does meet ethics standards, and it does meet our security standards. So um, that's just another thing for you to consider. More and more organizations are doing using IRBs for review of quality improvement, but it's not as common as I think it should be. But that's something else you might want to ask because it does add another layer of scientific merit and thus accuracy of the results that you're going to be relying upon for organizational refinement. Now, if you're an organization that doesn't have an internal review board, an IRB or an ethics committee, um, you may want to contact your local university to see if you could utilize their IRB or if there's a content expert that would be willing to be um, part of your operational refinement and your outcomes management program, because then they would have access to the IRB. The other thing is there are IRBs that you can hire per study as well that would review that for scientific uh, merit. You can find those on, on the web. But there are ways to get access to an IRB if you don't have one within your own organization. But most large healthcare systems have it, their own IRB or the universities within their local area will have an IRB. And then your third option would be a privately run IRB organization. And those, those costs aren't extraordinary. So you might want to evaluate that as well. So the reason that I wanted to do this episode is because predictive analytics has really become a hype almost. Um, it's a buzzword. It's becoming a buzzword. And I want to provide some guidance out there for you that are looking to use predictive analytics of really what do I look for? What questions do I ask? Because predictive analytics will guide you into uh, organizational refinement that's very effective. And if your model is done right, and you program the model to be specified to your organization, the results will resonate with the staff who are going to have to implement the actions for change. The reason it resonates is because you have programmed your organization story into the computer. And then when you analyze the data, it just tells the story back to the staff, but in an order of priority of what things they need to improve within their organization. So the staff will understand immediately what needs to be changed because it's their story being told back to them, but in analytics. Now, every time that I have used predictive analytics, it has improved the outcome dramatically and it has literally saved a million dollars every time. Now that sounds almost too good to be true, but with careful calculations and working with the organization's finance department, we have been able to document at least a million dollars of cost savings every time and been able to show the improvement clinically. So the most important bit in this is that we are decreasing fall. We are reducing infections. We are reducing readmission rates. We are decreasing length of stay. All of these outcomes improve the patient experience 
but we wouldn't be able to improve these outcomes if we didn't have a model that was specified in true predictive analytics, giving the staff a list of options in rank order to address as it relates to that outcome of interest. The other thing that's really powerful about true predictive analytics, as I've described in this episode here, is that it moves your organization, primarily the quality improvement team and the staff, they, it moves them from improving the frequency graph to the clinical scenario. So it moves them from paying attention to how many falls did we have today to what is the risk of falls for today. So it moves them to a critical thinking standpoint and really a professional enactment position where they're really enacting their professional role to reduce those risks. Well, thanks for joining me on this episode today. If you have any questions about predictive analytics, machine learning, security with your um, data or anything else that I've mentioned today, feel free to visit my website to contact me or anyone in my company at healthcareenvironment.com or you can email me directly at john at healthcareenvironment.com. Thank you for joining us on our episode today, and I look forward to our next time together.